1: Hi, everyone. It's Sophia, and welcome back to Work in Progress. Today, we're continuing to get to know the cast and creators of Good Sam a little better. I have met so many incredible people while working on this show, and if I could, I would introduce you to all of them. On this episode, I'm going to talk to two wonderful women. Katie Wesch is a TV and film writer. You may have seen her work without even realizing if you've watched shows like The Republic of Sarah, Rizzoli and Isles, and Jane the Virgin. She's also the creator of Good Sam and a phenomenal creative force. And Jenny Snyder Ehrman is a writer herself, although more often credited these days as a powerhouse producer. She's produced shows like Gilmore Girls Charmed and 90210, won awards for the show she created and produced, Jane the Virgin, and she is also the executive producer of Good Sam. I am so looking forward to delving into their journey, their creative process, and their experience as women writing in media. Let's get to it. Hi, ladies. Hi, Sophia. Hello. This is so fun, and I feel nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Me, too. (laughs) Okay, great. I'm suddenly like, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to like interview my my bosses and my my friends and what do we talk about?" Oh god. I, I
0: mean, I just want to know make sure I'm well informed enough to keep up because, you know, you know about everything. Oh, please.
1: <laughs> but this is I know. today's about you. It's about both of you ladies. Um for our friends listening at home, I think you've all probably heard me say this many times over the last year, which really has been 2 years since we all set off on this journey together and then got postponed with the pandemic, but this working for the two of you is my favorite job that I've ever had on on the spectrum of every kind of feeling and experience and, and adventure and piece of dialogue and thing we're talking about. And and so I think people who love shows so rarely get to really know the people who make them. And so that's all we're going to do today.
2: I love that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it would be very easy for anybody to get on IMDb and look up either of you ladies and go, oh, okay, you know, the laundry list of the shows you've written on, worked on, the things you've created. I mean, Jane the Virgin literally changed the, the TV landscape, Jenny, and, and Katie, your experience on it. I want to dig into all of that. But I, I always want to know how people became the people that they are, and especially you two as the leaders that you are, you set such a high bar for excellence, but you do it with such a tenderness that everyone feels excited to show up rather than like they're in trouble every day. It's like a real masterful thing you do. And so I kind of just want to know how you both became like this, how, how you got to be these boss ladies with soul. And, and so I want to go all the way back to the beginning, you know, to know where you grew up and, and what your experiences were like. So who wants to go first? Tell me where you're from. Tell everyone at home where you came from.
0: Um, I'm from Rye, New York, which is about 45 minutes outside Mm of um, Manhattan. And uh, that's where I'm from. And I, I spent my childhood just kind of Trying to get closer and closer to Manhattan, I would say, it was a big part of my growing up. And I liked where I grew up, but I didn't love it. There was something about the where I grew up, I just didn't feel totally connected to everything. And I didn't really know how I fit in to my family, mm-hmm. to my environment, to my school, everything. And so I was always like kind of looking um, elsewhere, but not really planning for anything. I was just kind of, I just wanted to be near the city because it felt like it had so many more possibilities than what was right around me?
1: Mm. So, if I think about Jenny Ehrman at you know ten or twelve, even, what do you think you were lacking? Was it was it a, more of an ability to kind of touch the arts or creative expression, or or was it a general feeling of
0: stuck? It's interesting. I think you know, um, I felt a little bit stuck. I, I describe a, a, like. When I got into the sort of 14, 15-year-old, I, I always described myself as a bad nerd. So I would go out and get in a lot of trouble all, all day and do things I wasn't supposed to, and then I would go, come home at night and study. So I had this, like, rebellious side, but I was always, like, keeping enough in check because I knew, like, eventually I was going to grow out of it, and I wanted to, like, <laughs> go to college and
1: stuff. So you had the wherewithal to skip class but then do your homework?
0: not only skip class, I mean, I, I think in ninth grade, I wasn't allowed to go to classes. I was only allowed to come in for tests. Um,
1: <laughs> Jenny I know.
0: And, and so, so, I, so I would do that and I'd hang out and stuff. And then I'd come home and I'd like memorize the glossary and stuff. Cause I really had so many sort of conflicting parts and I couldn't quite, I wasn't like the kind of student that I I was just loud and I had a lot of ideas and I could be really disruptive and I was not a good, I was not good at playing by the rules back then. So, but I also really loved school. So, you know, in seventh and eighth grade, the reason I got into like theater and storytelling was because for eighth grade, I wasn't allowed to go to um, English classes or social studies classes. And instead I had to like write a play and put it on for the school. And uh, it was uh, about the, the trial of Sacco and Vanzetti, who are two Italian immigrants who were caught stealing a shoe, and what it said about America. And I did just—I mean, I did not edit. Like the school came to see this. Like I, I pretty much just put on the trial. I mean, <laughs> 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 like I did not want to miss any turns in this in this saga. Um, and then like the lead prosecutor <laughs> got sick, so I had to like jump in. <laughs> And after this um this bizarre experience, I was just like, I love theater, and I love, like, English, and I love writing things. And then that was, like, the thing that I loved that always, you know, I'd always come back to, even when I was, yeah. like, getting in other kinds of trouble. Like, that was, you know, if you asked, like, my theater teacher, you know, she would say, like, oh, Jenny's a great student. But if you asked maybe, like, my physics teacher, she would have a different opinion.
1: <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say that too, the the sort of immersion that happens as a kid when you realize theater is your thing. You know, that that was what changed my trajectory. It was starting to do theater that made me say, no, I'm not going to go to medical school. I thought I wanted to be a surgeon, but you mean you can bring books to life? I, I had this yeah. whole, sh- you know, sort mm-hmm. of change of, of heart and inspiration. And then I got to go home and tell my parents— you know, my immigrant family parents said I wasn't <laughs> going to go to medical school. I was going to go to drama school. My parents were just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Not thrilled. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Katie, were you, were you ever cutting class? I feel like you would <laughs> not have cut class, Katie Wesh. I know. It's so <laughs> I didn't cut class either, except for a protest. <laughs> <laughs> that, that feels very uncomfortable. Exactly. It, it tracks. Eighth grade. I, I mean, I just I think I was a really straight stick.
2: I really think it's very great that Jenny like planned her rebellion in like an official like, like that's just good time management. Yeah. It's like that is really you knew she was going to be a good showrunner. She's like I'm just going to like really wig out for the, the, like from four p.m. to eight p.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm going to really drill down on um, my science project. I just think it's so it's so perfect. But no, I was um I didn't really have any edges around me. I just was very sort of straight and studious. And um, you know that sort of annoying kid that was always standing on the chair at lunch hour to get people to sign her petition, so that like you know the girls' field hockey team and lacrosse team shouldn't have to wear share uniforms. You guys, the football team <laughs> gets new track suits every season, mm-hmm. and everyone's just like, "Again with this?" And like, for I a love long that girl. Yes, if, if, I mean, I have to say, like, if she walked by me now, I would be like but like like i for a long time i didn't tell anybody this because it was so embarrassing but i had a um column in the newspaper i don't know if you know this jenny no and it it's so it's still mortifying but i just i have to say it it's god wants people to know i it said it was called aware which stood for are we all really equal oh amazing
1: i mean i love you so much no, it was <laughs> amazing.
2: Is the right word? Yes. It was like I was just like you guys. Yeah, I was a real uh, freedom fighter for those lacrosse uniforms.
1: Mm. <laughs> and where and where was
2: this? It was in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan, and I uh, I guess I was very studious, and I lived in books and um, my own righteousness. I suppose. And I think I it just came along at some point for me that realization of I don't know that it was. I liked theater too, but I wasn't as, it was more about like the moment of discovering that people write the stories that I spent so much of my Mm. childhood immersed in, like that feeling of, oh, you you can do that. Like you can be the one who makes the story on the TV show or whatever that is. That that was kind of a light bulb moment for me and, and a possibility that hadn't really existed before because you don't spend a lot of time talking about the, Entertainment industry. If you're growing up in the Midwest, right, in the '80s, but then I started to think that might be a little bit obsessed with that idea of um, telling telling the stories started early for me.
1: What do you Mm. think flipped that
2: switch? You know, I wish I knew like the exact show or the exact moment, but I just know that there was a before and an after of realizing Mm. that there was somebody like typing the words. That somebody was in charge of how that story happened, and I think before that, authors or writers, they they it was it didn't seem like a person to me. It didn't seem like somebody I could be. Mm. And and something changed where all of a sudden it became in my mind possible to pursue that. And so then I, you know, I went to college and majored in English, but I I wanted to write stories that would be a thing that could get made. That was kind of as far as I could go in terms of articulating my plans. And then Mm -hmm. at some point I found out that there was like a thing called film school. And so then that seemed like a great plan for somebody like me because I liked school. I was good at school. I understood the identity of students. And I thought if I could have all those things to support me while I went to this big city of L.A., maybe I could, you know, get more info So I applied to USC. People told me that was a hard school to get into. I figure if they let me in, it'll give me a chance. And then if they don't, I'll like do something else. (laughs) So again, my planning, I don't think I was as like strategic and well organized (laughs) in my planning as Jenny, but it kind of worked out. They did (laughs) let me in. So then I sort of took it from
1: there. So you came out to go to USC and Jenny, how did you get your shit together? (laughs) You were obviously doing well academically, so what, when yeah. did you shift out of the 15-year-old who was like getting into trouble during the day but acing her homework <laughs> at night? What changed for you? What What was the college trajectory?
0: So um, <laughs> it was circuitous. Um, so <laughs> I sort of, by 16, had like sort of gone as crazy as I felt like <laughs> I was going to go. Then I I started to like really take my identity as a student more seriously. (sighs) But I had a lot of things coming at once. Basically, I just thought like, I should just apply to colleges somewhere with a good English program. I got it in my mind that my hero writer was Toni Morrison and she taught at Princeton. So Mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm going to try to go there. So I applied there early. And then at the same time in my life, I was going through a lot of difficult stuff sort of stemming from that period, but then like kind of the fallout. So then Mm. my like senior year of college, I sort of like shrunk into this other person and a senior year of high school where I was um, anorexic and really studious and quite Mm. quiet and like retreating. And so then I went to college. I got into Princeton, was like, that's where I want to go because maybe I can take a class with Toni Morrison at some point but I went there quite sick. So I had to like Mm. get weighed to be able to go to college. And I was a mess and I didn't quite understand the extent of the mess until like kind of midway through that first semester. And I had like a medical crisis and my parents like I called and they just like kind of came up and picked me up and took me home. And then I was like, oh no, I've got to get better from this in order to really spend time at Princeton. So I spent a lot of Uh, So I spent, like, a semester kind of trying to get better, trying to get better. Finally, ultimately, I did. Um, And then I went back, and then I took another semester off because I had to even out. And then I was, like, working in New York, and I was – my waitressing career was, like, really progressing. And uh, and I was doing, like, theater in New York. And so then I decided I was going to stay out for one more year because I was really, like – there was something about that period of my life where I wanted to be in New York, and I really – was into all the things I was doing, and I didn't want to waste sort of my education, and I didn't want to be like two places at once. Yeah,
1: so almost I stayed like a out gap year.
0: Yeah, so I stayed out another year, so that it equaled two, and then I finally went back for like the last sort of two years um, as a junior, and then it was like just like sucking in everything that college had to offer and taking as many classes as possible and just being like, you know, and a lot of people would be like, oh, you're still here? Are you a TA? Are you? Because I'd been there for a really long time. <laughs> um, but I, I just sort of was on my own path. And and by the time, I think when I was like, I just knew myself enough to know that if I I didn't want to like waste the college experience, I wanted to like really yeah. take it in. So I did that. This is all the circuitous route, how I got to LA. So then after... um. I was really good friends with some of my professors in college, and one of them said to me after, like, what are you going to do? And I had, like, a bunch of, like, loose ideas. The biggest idea was that you can't be an actor. Like, you do not have thick enough skin. You're not good enough. Like, you have to find some other job. I had been in New York for two years. I knew that that Mm -hmm. was not a, a life path that was for me because I I didn't think I could handle it, honestly. And then, mm. um, and I had to figure out sort of what I want to do. And the only other thing I loved was like writing papers. I really loved writing papers at school. And I'd always like hand them in two weeks early so I could get a proper good set of notes in order to like hand it back in. I mean, real wow. nerdy. Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe, maybe grad school. And I was thinking about that. And my professor said, I want you to meet my wife. I just feel like you will love her. Um, and you know, I just want you to meet her. So I met her for like lunch at noon and uh, the, the lunch lasted till like 8 PM. And I did really love her. Um, and her name was Eleanor Bergstein and she wrote Dirty Dancing um, and was like, yes. And was like the first really just awesome radical feminist that I knew really well. And like, she had been called baby up until she was 17. Like, you know, and she was just like, come work with me for this year. And she had other people working with her and and really... I was, like, halfway between an assistant and a friend. And, like, she just, like, we would talk about ideas and try to, like, develop things together. And we would also go to lunch. And I would also pick up her dry cleaning. And it was just, like, this, like, two years of, like, while I was trying to write plays in New York. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
0: really loved that job. And then another friend of mine, like, had just come back from giving uh, massages in the beach of Puerto Vallarta. And she came back and she was, like, have you ever thought of writing for TV? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm here with Eleanor. And we're like mostly theater. And she was like, I would love you to, to write TV with me. I think you'd really be good at it. And I was like, all right, let's try that. And so um, she actually paid me to take a month off of work because she had more money than I did, take a month off of work with Eleanor and write specs Wow. Um, of, I know it was, it was real bizarre, um, right, Specs of different scripts that existed. So we did that for a month and then we drove out to LA. We knew one person who read our scripts and they were like, you know, a crazy range of scripts. Cause we thought like, you got to really show your range, not like look <laughs> at one thing and show how you do it. So we'd do like a law and order and a sex in the city and everybody, like just everything. Wow. Um, and through that process of writing together, we liked it enough. And I liked it enough to be like, "Yeah, like why not? Let's move to l a for a year." Um and we did. we moved to l a for a year, and I worked at Houston's oh, and waitress and I uh, love that place and I was very disciplined like we I'd get done with work and then go back to my friend's house and we would write for like six hours every <gasps> night.
1: Jenny, <Yeah>. I'm so <laughs> struck by your self-awareness and discipline at a young age like. As a kid who's being, you know, what you might say like quote unquote bad or naughty, who then is like, I'm going to come home and I'm going to get really good grades <laughs> And then who sort of swings so far in the other direction to prove herself that the proving becomes obsessive and then results in an eating disorder. And then you're thinking while you're, while you're working on healing from that and in treatment, you're going, you know, I'm so focused on healing and I, and I'm, I'm in treatment and I need to kind of figure out what it is I really want to do. So I don't want to waste my opportunity at (laughs) Princeton, even though I got in. So why don't I just work and get my shit together and then I'll go back to college. Like what child thinks this way? You know, I want to have that kind of discipline now.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, hearing it back, I feel like uh, wow. I, I, you, I you should have been my therapist for many years because you just <laughs> sort of contextualized it all for me in a really it's incredible s- sort of bite sized way in a way that I can. Um, you know, I didn't plan anything. I just sort of I always like would have my breakdowns, yeah, with enough to like pull me back from the edges. I don't know what, but I never planned. I didn't have plans for any. Sure thing. I came to LA because like someone, you know, she's like, it would be a good idea. And I, I just felt like, yeah. that's great. Yeah, let's do that. And I'm I, I, it seems so strange because now as an adult, I'm a much more like weigh the pros and cons. And I didn't have that as mm-hmm. much as a kid, but maybe it's because I trusted that I would like know the limit and be able mm-hmm. to like pull myself back from things if it got to be someplace past the point of no return. I'm not sure.
1: That's amazing. Uh. It's like, it, it makes me think of that thing Glennon Doyle says, where you just have to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, especially when I was young, I mean, I have the tendency now, it was much worse when I was younger, of being such a people pleaser, of, of, of never wanting to be the problem. So so I, I never wanted to be the one drawing the attention. I never wanted to get in the way. I, I always wanted everything to be fine. I wanted everybody to be happy. And so I, I don't know that I could have done that. I don't know that I would have seen it. I I think about the dumb shit I did in my 20s and like I did not see it. I was so far down the road of red flags and I was like, look at this parade. It's just for me. Like that's not what those are. You know, I I didn't see it. And so it's it's really cool to you know, to hear you talk about it in that way. I'm curious, did you guys get to LA? kind of around the same time? Like what year did you each move out? You moved with your friend for writing and Katie, you moved out for college. Yeah, I
2: graduated from USC in, um, I want to say 2002. Okay. Yeah. So like early 2000s, I got here. And it's so funny because if you look at USC now, it's such a different place. It was like a trailer, like one trailer and some like <laughs> wow. confused writers ambling around. And now it's this like, Palace. This George Lucas. It. People were like, mm-hmm. George Lucas is building a thing, and it was like, because well, we don't have any paper in the copier, so that feels like. <laughs> and now it's just mm-hmm. a whole different place, but it was. um Wow. It was a nice time to be there. I mean, it, the the group of people that I went to school with are very inspiring. Some of them, Aaron Thomas, who runs the CBS show SWAT, is one of them. He was my mm. um like sort of classmate and. So it was was a cool time to be there at school, even though I was still trying to find my way and didn't know that I'd be in TV. Like, TV was not where I was aiming. And that time at Mm -hmm. USC, it didn't have a huge TV. It wasn't so – it's weird now to say this, but in the beginning of my career, it wasn't like you could do both, TV and movies, and it was no problem. They were still very much separated. And you Mm -hmm. would go to film school because you were going to be like a movie writer. Like, the posters on the wall inside the school were not TV shows. Right. Right. So I didn't really like think about that until I got toward the end of my time at school and realized that I really liked watching TV. And those were the stories that were most interesting to me in the serialized, I think, nature of like being able to stay with a character and and Mm -hmm. live with them for a long time. So that's when I started to put my attention in that direction. But it was hard. It wasn't very easy to do. I think now when you go to school there, you actually choose a track or you sort of declare which is your main interest. And then you can align yourself with professors and mentors like Jenny had that help you guide you and know what you're signing up for. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you kind of just had to stumble through it, which is what I did.
1: (laughs) I felt like that about my time at USC, too, because I graduated high school in 2000. I would have graduated SC in 2004, but I left in Two thousand three, right after my mm. junior year, wow. to go do my first job, and I I felt very aimless. I was just like, I don't know what's going on here. I went for the BFA program, and then there was like this room of actors like talking about their craft, and I was like, I'm gonna kill myself. I have to get out of here. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, this is not for me. I really like telling stories and I like people, but the this feels like something I don't, I don't know. It felt really kind of self-obsessed. So then I transferred into Annenberg. I went from the Uh BFA theater program into Annenberg to study journalism. Really? That really became my thing. And when I was in Annenberg, I started taking some classes at the film school. And then I was my, my sort of, um, outside of my journalism classes, everything I packed my schedule with was political science and film. So it all makes wow, sense now. Totally. But at the time, everyone was like, what are you doing? Wow, that's
2: really interesting. I feel like I've always said that I think journalism is a good, um, I think that like at least on the writing side, a good like storytelling can be, it's sort of this comp, it's like a a reporter and a private detective. Like those yeah. skill sets are good when you go around in the world to like gather up good stuff to put in your storytelling yeah. pocket for later if you kind of have and you do sophia i feel like that you really do absorb things whatever you're experiencing in a moment you do absorb them and kind of pack it away and and you have a way of integrating it and articulating it like even just with jenny's story that it is journalistic in nature i just think you have that instinct naturally absolutely it's enviable. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, that's very kind coming from two of my favorite writers. I, It's probably because as a kid, I was so obsessed with Oprah. Like, you guys, I was in elementary school, <laughs> and I would say to my mom, if I get straight A's, will you take me out of class 12 minutes early every day so we can get home by 3 o'clock instead of getting home at 3.12 because I missed the first 12 minutes of Oprah? <laughs> and my mom was like, be quiet, seven-year-old. Like, what are you Amazing. talking about? But that's all I wanted. I was like, I just want to sit down and I want to watch this woman interview people. Mm. I want to watch her help people tell their stories. It was my favorite thing to do. So I think it's why the, the theater energy, I was like, no, I like theater. I like plays. I like doing that stuff. I went all through high school doing it. But the sort of like, you know, gravity of a theater education. I was like, this is creeping yeah. me out. It feels too weird. I'm just going to go tell people's stories over there instead. Yeah, that makes sense. I get So that. much
0: sense. Totally. Mm.
1: So I know you said that, you know, you were you were referencing Jenny's mentors, you know, working um, for the writer in New York and then partnering up with your friend to come out and, and write in L.A., did, did you feel, Katie, like you had mentors in school at all? Or because the, the department was still a little unformed at the time, do you feel like you had to find a mentor once you graduated?
2: Well, I think I had teachers all along the way who, when I look now at the continuum, I see you were pushing me in the direction of being a writer. You know, mm-hmm. it's so powerful that one teacher that just looks at you and, and, and says, like, you should keep doing this. You know, it's amazing how things become possible when you realize that people see you a certain way. And so that, that, that was true for me even from high school. And I had a teacher who wrote a book and I, that was like one of those things where you're like, huh, you just, you just went ahead and wrote it then. You just, <laughs> you know, um, and then I, I think I, I also had that. I did have help in film school. I had support mm. and people who guided me and I also, I've been really lucky in my career that I've always had awesome women around me, even when I was just starting out as a lowly assistant, bringing people coffee. And, you know, I've, I've had always somebody to kind of focus my sights on and help me as a guiding light to imagine how I would want my path to go and kind of how I would want to be while I was on that path, I just was really lucky in that way, you know, that I think sometimes you have to build Mm -hmm. a career around what not to do, what you've experienced that you don't want to repeat, but I'm happy to say I also had positive influences that I just could, like, take those experiences and pack them up so that I could draw from that as well, like, that person's really decent and kind and patient, and that person Mm -hmm. has an incredible tolerance for other people's stories and nonsense that don't pertain to this moment in time but they have a kindness and an interest in them as a human being that helps morale or just whatever it would be that somehow would give you a nice little lesson to take with you so I I had that kind of all throughout lucky me and I know probably I mean maybe that's not a common story to say so it's good to to say that it is true that sometimes it's not always like it was hell getting here you know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's not an easy business, and I had my troubles and challenges mm-hmm. like everybody, but I also had a lot of good yeah. influences.
1: It's also really a testament to your constant presence as an observer. It's really interesting to me to watch you in a room because you, you're you the creator. I mean, you you created this show and this whole world and you're managing storyboards. And I mean, my God, your office is like a very well-organized version of A Beautiful Mind. Like coming in the writer's room and seeing all the boards and the post-its and the stickies and the things (laughs) under every single episode number. And you're just like, how do these people do this? But yet you have so much that you have to manage. But when you come in a room, you're paying attention to everyone else and you see how people behave you see what their skills are even even when we talk about people on our crew the reasons you hire people the things that you request of department heads the the way you allow people to really like show off in their skill sets is all because you observe what their strengths are and i'm fascinated by the amount of information you are able to not only take in but identify and then hand back to people as like trophies you will say that. to anyone who you are around, well, this this is a thing you're really incredible at. I want you to do more of it. And I watch people light up and I'm like, you're managing like nineteen scripts right now. How did you even you're on your phone sending notes to the studio, but you noticed the thing the guy was doing in the corner? Like, I maybe that comes with with being a mom. like you have eyes in the back of your head. I have no idea, but I'm endlessly impressed by by that. So I'm not surprised when you talk about the things you were observing in your early writing career, it's like, well, of course you noticed that. Oh man. Thanks.
2: I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think it's, it probably is. I think being a parent does help you be a better producer for me. Anyway, it's true that you have to really be good at divided focus, like tasks Mm. that require divided focus and prioritizing, uh, like, like urgency and level of need with regard to your attention. Uh, Mm. and also, I think as a, a parent, I mean, I don't know, I can only speak for my kids, but they don't, like, I don't get great results out of them when I'm, like, <laughs> a real hard-ass or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe if I had, like, a really great experience, then that would be more <laughs> of my management style. But I find with these humans that I'm, you know, doing my best with my husband, gave to raise, that that uh, a, a sort of loving and compassionate approach <laughs> is more productive and feels better for everybody. So maybe that
1: is part of
2: just kind of flows into everything.
1: Well, it feels better. I think in general, it was so sweet. Uh, you know, we just did the, the hospital room scenes for episode one Oh seven in the, in the timeline for everyone at home of when we're doing this recording. And we have these two lovely women guest starring in the episode and they talked about how it's the nicest set they've ever worked on. I'm and sweet darling Jordan from Props said, oh, hands down. And he he just jumped right in. And he said, hands down, it's the best set. And you know why? Because there's a group of incredible women who run it. So it's better for all of you. But just so you know, it's better for us guys too. That, I'm I was so like, glad Jordan, yes, thank you <laughs> so this.
2: lovely. He is such a sweetheart and what a hard worker. He's an angel. I God, really appreciate people. that. So I'm really glad you, you told us that, Sophia, because yeah. I've always said, you know, you've heard me say that I have... Two goals, they are to create a hit show on television and to make an environment where people say, what a great place to come to work every day. And both of those things are equally important to me. One is not a success without the other. So I really feel like, to me, that's the measure you know of how we're doing and, and so i it, it means so so much to me uh, as much as somebody saying that they love to watch the show is that they love to work on our show but also nice. they've got a leading lady who knocks your socks off and sets that tone every day we're only yeah. there on set for such a blink of an eye compared to those long hours and the time that you guys spend together uh, in that trench i mean i just think something anybody understands how long the hours are that you work and what talk about focus And you have to be on camera for all of it. So to be able to do that with grace and and generosity,
1: yes, that
2: that mood completely flows through everything. I feel like you need to know that in my in my mind, and I know in Jenny's mind, you're part of that equation. Mm. When they say there's a group of great women at the top Mm. setting the tone, that's all of us together doing that. I don't think we we could do it otherwise the same way. You know Mm. what I mean?
1: Thanks, pals. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. See, everyone, I, I bet everybody at home's going, uh-huh, and that's <laughs> it. Like you can see why we love what we do so much. So to get to our wonderful show that we love to make, from the point where Jenny, you've been in LA and you're committed to being there with your best friend and writing spec scripts for a year. And and Katie, you've graduated from USC and and gleaned your lessons along the way. What happens next? Like, you know. Jenny, you wind up being named one of the 10 writers to watch by Variety. That's a really big deal. Katie, you're out, like, getting movies made. What what happens? How does it begin? Because I know there are people who love our industry who listen to this podcast and go, I just have no idea where I would even start. Yeah, you
0: know, when I try to give people advice, I feel like there is a path that is, you know, get around writer's rooms. So, mm. you know, work as a PA, Try to get to be a writer's assistant. doesn't matter, a PA, no matter where you are, because you're going to get around people and you're going to create a community of younger people who all want the same thing. And if you can do that, yeah. that's great. I, I, Personally, I just didn't, I don't know what it was about this moment in my life or a few moments, but I had no plan and I had no, um, I didn't really question it other than like, oh, I just got to write and make your scripts really good, which is not like me. I didn't say to myself, oh, I'll give yourself two years or my my friend and I never talked about that we just sort of moved to LA and we moved here it was really traumatic we got here uh September 10th I think I've wow. spoken to you about that oh, yeah. of 2001 it was a really traumatic uh entry here and it took like I you know 4 months before we really I think left the house and we we're like oh okay we're here permanently like we got to now got to yeah. start to move and like try to write and you know emotionally heal through writing also, which is why it's such a great job, because you can also tend to your soul. But I really just waitressed and wrote scripts like every single day and was really, really disciplined about it. And then I would go to all these meetings. I remember like I I would just, you know, especially if they were at Fox, because it was right by um, Houston's where I worked. And um, yeah. I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, Arnold Palmer, Iced Tea." I just recognized everyone. I knew all the orders. I was like, <laughs> "I recognize these people from the wait, uh, my my day job." Oh my god, could they really help me? And we just kept writing. We just kept writing scripts, and we got to uh, we got a meeting on our first show, and it was the writer who also became a big mentor of mine, and it was her first show. So she also didn't have this sort of preconceived notion of all the steps you had to do in order to get there. Mm -hmm. We just had a really fun meeting. And she was like, I want to hire those two girls. Like, they seem interesting and funny and different. So she did. And it was uh, 15 years ago. So it wasn't that sort of time where you were like, oh, do you have your girl on the comedy staff? Oh, you have your girl. Mm -hmm. You don't need another one. She didn't have that she was a woman, this was her first job. And she was like, so we had like a really uh, beautiful room. I felt really taken care of by her. And she was always um, looking to mentor me, actively looking to mentor me. And so we ended up moving back to New York for our first job. So we were here for like 18 months, I would say, and then got relocated back to New York. And I remember when I got the call from our agent that we got a job on this sitcom that was shooting in New York. I was like, okay, hold up. I just have to call Houston's make sure I can transfer because I don't want to lose my health insurance and he was like you're going to have to leave the restaurant and I was like I'm not going to be leaving the <laughs> restaurant like no 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 I have a really good position and I'm on the rail which <laughs> means that like people are coming in and out and I'm making a lot of money at lunch and uh and you know I have health insurance I really don't want to leave it and he's like you have to leave it and we had like sort of some words about it and then I was like okay I'm, uh, I'm going to leave the restaurant. Like, even though I wasn't sure it was going to work out and I felt that I was going yeah. to regret it. And also Houston's had a lot of New York branches, so I really thought yeah. it could all work out. But then once I got in a writer's room, um, I quickly realized like, I wasn't going to be making waitressing shifts. <laughs> it's a really, like, long hour. The hours are really long and, like, all your energy yeah. is used. But I was, like, clearing everyone's dishes in the writer's room for a really long time because I was also like, oh, my God, they get us lunch too. This is crazy. They'd be like, oh, you have to stay for dinner tonight. And I'd be like... Too bad. But in my heart, I was like, darn, amazing. We get dinner. We get to sit around with these fun people. I have very little going on outside of this. This is great. But, you know, I tried to act like duly disappointed (laughs) at the late hours.
1: That is incredible. You just reminded me, I haven't thought about this in years. When I first booked One Tree Hill and I had to go to North Carolina, I was like, but it's my senior year in college. Like, I can't. I can't miss my senior year in college. And then I genuinely asked. I looked my showrunner and, and you know, producing team dead in the face and said, well— do you think it might be possible for me to, like, I mean, I'll do the flying, but do you think I might be able to just go home, like, two days a week so I can stay in <laughs> class? And they looked at me. They were like, what? what? <laughs> no. No. No, one said no. you're the only one who at that.
0: That's-
1: yeah. They were like, you're going to be working, like, 100 hours a week. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I didn't, I just didn't know. Cause I'd never worked on a show like totally. that. So I, I love it. Oh, the innocence of like, well, I, I'll keep my waitressing job. Right. Like, yeah. oh, it's perfect. I also really want to know when you're like talking about who, you know, who ordered an Arnold Palmer, I'm like, who, who works at Fox also likes the spinach artichoke dip from Houston's. Mm-hmm. Cause it's all I can think about. <laughs> and I want to know who I can share a snack with Next time we all have a meeting.
0: Everyone (laughs) loved the spinach artichoke dip. Okay, great. great, great, great. Yeah, yeah, a big, big, big seller.
1: Wow. So first job (laughs) takes you back to New York. And then Katie, what, what becomes the first moment for you?
2: I graduated from film school and then I had a sort of a... Period of time where I had a bunch of jobs that weren't in the entertainment business. I had a little trouble with my sort of first step on the ladder and it was mm-hmm. a rocky time for me because that my dad died and I was just like in my early twenties mm-hmm. and broke and my mom was sort of like at a point of her life where she now had to completely like recalibrate, you know, mm-hmm. she's only in her fifties or whatever and now she didn't have my dad. So it was hard. I wasn't sure, should I go home and help her back to Michigan or stay this very uncertain course? You know, it was a, so my, my writing was not the most, I wasn't the most productive I'd ever been at the very start. And I was grateful finally to land a job as a writer's PA because it gave me structure and it made sense to me in a way that the movie business continues to not make sense. In other words, like I had a, I wrote a Disney movie that got made. I don't think there's, it's just the, that was the one that got made that day. There is really no merit or logic around why some movies go forward and some don't. And it's very stressful and weird as a result, or at least it was for me compared to TV where it's like, all right, if I bring these people their coffee and I like really nail it and I learn as much as I can while I'm doing it, then the next time around I'll get to be like one step higher on the right. chain, and eventually I'll get to sit in the seat at the table with the writers and write the scripts. Like, there was a trajectory that made sense to me in a way that I couldn't make sense of movies, and so I was excited about that and threw myself into it, and then TV really became my main interest, and then that's how it went along for me, and I just, I climbed my way up the ranks from the from the coffee bringer to staff mm-hmm. writer and onward from there until I you know, was a co-EP on enough shows and started to think about maybe I could have ha- develop my own show and run it, you know, which just takes time, or at least it did for me.
1: Yeah. Will you give the the folks at home kind of like a a little, I hate to make people do it, but a little like resume laundry list of the latter, because some people will have actually gone on your IMDb's and some will not have. And I want them to know what we're talking about. I know. What do you, I wonder what mine even said? My first,
2: uh, job was on that. Oh,
1: but wait, wait, before you start, before I move on. Fun fact, your Disney movie prom. Yeah. Nicholas Braun was in. Yes, he was. And in 2011, it might've even been 2010, he played my little brother in a film. Is that right? And obviously now everyone loves him as Cousin Greg on Succession, but (laughs) he's just one of my favorite people. He's so good. So when I realized you guys had worked together and also- you know why it's hilarious to think of him as my little brother, since he's literally he's twice as tall. Yeah, he's he's six. the tallest person I know. Uh, but that that was a fun little thing. Oh, he's okay, so Back great. to, back to the trajectory.
2: Um, well, I started on a show, a Fox show that uh, was like a. It was shot in Hawaii. It was called North Shore. It was supposed to be a companion piece to a show called The OC from five hundred years ago, and mm. it, it was it was okay. It only went for a season, but it the lucky thing about being the assistant. Uh, Writers P on PA on that show is that that staff of writers happened to be like the future showrunners of any show you've ever seen in the subsequent wow. like. So I just really did a good job bringing them their lunches and making them like me. And then they kept hiring me on other shows. And that's how I ended up on prison break and you know, a, a wow. bunch of other shows. They just kept being people who had who I had met when I was an assistant and then just applied myself to making that to charming them into continuing to let me be around. Um and, and that's even how my first staff writer job came my way. So I did a couple of, you know, I just I just kind of kept going along on that on that ladder. But a lot of the shows mm-hmm. that I worked on in the beginning of my career only lasted one season. So right. I have a lot of experience with shows that that's why I have a lot of shows on my resume because it would be like, okay, that one's not going forward. You hop onto another one. And
1: mm-hmm. it, the
2: good thing about something like that is you get to meet a lot of people and see a lot of different styles of running yeah. a room and, and breaking story and, and just the dynamics of people in rooms, what succeeds and what doesn't and what you know makes everybody happiest or least happy. So that was sort of most of my career was characterized by those sort are of shorter stints until I later on landed on shows like Brazilian Isles and Jane the Virgin that went for long numbers of seasons. And I was able to kind of settle into a place and a show for a length of time, which was a delight.
1: I love that. And then when you talk about becoming a co-EP, can you tell people what that means? Yeah, it's
2: like there's this whole funny rank system, like the way the Army has or something, that's just sort of reflective of the amount of time, I guess, that you've been a writer and and how much time you've spent in the room and on set and what your kind of skill set is. And it grows every year that you're working and therefore you go from like staff writer To, I think, something called story editor and executive story editor and then co-producer, it mounts. You'll see those names on the screen, right? Supervising producer, co-executive producer. They just indicate sort of the length of kind of seniority, I guess, more than anything else. And so when you're like at a co-EP level, that probably means you're one of the people in that writer's room who's been doing it the longest. That's one of the things it can mean. There's other ways that you can end up with a title like that, but that for me is what it meant.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, it, it also signifies the, you hear this thing of like who you want to get, like who, who's a value add to a show. So the writers that are at the co EP level, the studio gets excited about being able to get a writer like that on a show, just like they get excited about getting an actor with with a, a you know, a real resume and a fan base in a in a character role. Um, it's it's all just, yeah, how long you've kind of been putting in the shoe leather. Yeah. And then Jenny, for you, you you go to do the sitcom in New York, and then what does your trajectory look like? Um,
0: you know, I I stayed in the sitcom for three years, which was really awesome and a real gift because I was able to like continue in that. I had a writing partner my first year, my uh, same, one of my college best friends. Um, and then she decided that it wasn't quite for her and I decided it was exactly for me. So um, I was able to, uh, so when she left, I stayed on and I just made sure that I had to, I, I just rewrote all my samples because I had to come out of this job with, a resume that was only things that I had written, as opposed mm. to a shared credit. So, um, I stayed there. I was there for the the whole run, three years. And during that time, it was kind of like the the beginning of dramedies. I would say, really. Um, mm. When suddenly, I think my last year or the second to last year of um, Hope and Faith, there was suddenly Desperate Housewives, mm. and Grey's Anatomy, and like, and then The Office. Like, you know, it. it I was just like, oh, I gotta. I don't want to stay in sitcoms. I really wanted Mm to move. So I started, made sure that I wrote a lot of specs that last year so that for any job that became available, I would have the right sample. So I wrote like you know, A Desperate Housewives, I wrote An Office, then I wrote a single-camera comedy, then I wrote an hour-long dramedy, then I wrote a procedural. I just wrote all that while having this job just so that I could have choices when I transitioned Um, because I knew I wanted to not only be in sitcoms, and it was at the moment also there weren't that many jobs in sitcoms because they weren't as popular suddenly. So I just had to be prepared. And then um, a writer who had left the year before, Hope and Faith, had gone on to Gilmore Girls and then he was going to run it that last year. And he said, um, I wanted to bring you on. Do you have any samples that we can show the studio over one hour? I was like, do I ever, you know, I'd written all these. <laughs> and so then I went on to that show and I loved it. I just really like loved that style of writing. Um, mm. And I didn't get to work with Amy Sherman Palladino, but just her voice was so inspiring to me. I really, um, and I watched the pace the pace, and <gasps> the scripts were seventy-seven pages. And a normal hour-long show, you're looking at like fifty-five. So this they were twenty-two pages longer than an average wow. script, and we didn't cut anything because every all the characters talked that fast. Um, and so I, I listened to six seasons of Gilmore Girls just with my eyes closed to get the rhythms of the characters and to really understand the way, oh, they're starting a scene on this thing and you're going to then go through and then you're going to hit the plot over here and then you're going to bring up that thing you thought was a non sequitur here and then you're going to close it off with the joke that you set up three lines down. I mean, I like studied it like math um, so that I could go in and really get that voice because I felt like it was so challenging but also so delightful if you can get into that sweet spot. Um, and that was a really like exciting, creative time for me. And then after that, I went through a few jobs that didn't, uh, you know, like one year, two year, three year. I did Men in Trees. I did Lipstick Jungle. I did 90210. And then the studio had asked me to write a pilot. So I wrote a pilot that they shot and didn't go, but I was like, oh, this is fun. And then I was like, I really want to get a show on the air. So I set out to do that. Um, and I wrote a medical procedural. It was the first thing I wrote. And it was a really, like, lovely experience, but also didn't get picked up and was also, uh, you know, it went for 13. And then it was it was so exhausting. And it was um, mm-hmm. my first sort of understanding of, like, oh, my God, show running is a very different job than being someone else's number two. And it was a real, like, holy shit moment for me. And then... Um, after that show got canceled, I just had to really think about what I wanted to do next. And Jane the Virgin came out of that at just this totally opposite direction. I wanted to write something totally different. And then from there, I've gotten to, uh, you know, lucky enough to have that show and then get to develop and help other people sort of get their shows on, which is like a great part of the job that I didn't anticipate doing, but I could not love more. So
1: That's so cool. And then you guys, that's where this brilliant merger that's made my life so happy happened. So how did that what pixie dust got sprinkled around to put the two of you together? It's totally Pixie Dust.
0: And his name, the Pixie's name.
2: And his name is Micah Schraff. Yeah, yeah, so I had worked on this is one of those things again, where the longer you do it and the more people you know. because for me, I had worked on a CW show that didn't last long, but I worked with someone who I loved in that writer's room named Micah Schraff. and he then found it I think after, subsequent to that, he and Jenny started doing Jane together. And it so happened that in the fourth season of Jane, they were looking for somebody and Micah called me up and said, is there any chance you'd be available? I think he said, I have a money-making scheme for you, which is very (laughs) on-brand for him. (laughs) How would you like to meet with Jenny for Jane? And it was so great because I worked for so long on shows that were in their first season. It was not a lot. I didn't have the experience so much of coming to work for a show that I was already a fan of, so mm-hmm. I brought all that same enthusiasm that Jenny's talking about that she felt joining Gilmore Girls. That's how I felt coming in to Jane, and just to really, again, be like, people, there's somebody that makes this, this like awesome, yeah. wacky, wonderful thing. There's like, these are the people who make it. This is the woman that like, it springs from her head, like out of Zeus's head. Five seasons of the show, I think, just. He or she, and it's all our jobs to just sort of stand there and try to midwife it as, as best we can. And I was so happy to get to do that. We had such fun together. So that was the beginning for me that I was just like, hot damn, this is going to be good.
0: Yeah, and Micah, Micah's just, he's just one of these magical people and really magical writers. So he just said, um, I've got the writer for you. This is her. And, you know, when you trust somebody and they know both how you work, what the room is, what the room needs, right? So like Micah saying, oh, we've got the perfect writer. I know he's not just telling me his friend, although they were friends. I knew he needs an excellent writer in this room too because it makes everyone's life easier. So just like that trust. And that's why I think that what um, Katie said is so true about that like ladder of like going from show to show. There's so much benefit to it because you, you learn what to do, you learn what not to do. And you also just meet people who are going to be useful at different moments of your career. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, for that, Micah saying Katie's the perfect writer was like, she's clearly the perfect writer. And then I was like, oh my God, she's better than, and he's like, I told you, it was just like beautiful. And and um, I remember writers being like, whoa, she's come in and gotten it so quickly. Whoa. Like that, there was definitely that sense from Katie right away. And um, yeah. just uh, the joy that she brings to, ro- to the room and like, the seriousness she takes the job, but also the humor with which she does the job, is all, was all like sort of perfect for what what um, we were lucky enough to have in Jane.
1: Aww. I love that. That tracks so much. It makes me think about going into our writers' room before we came up here to start the first season to hear you pitch it, and I was like, every ex, like all my expectations blown out of the water, all my hopes laughable now. Like, what came out of your mouth for an hour, I was just like, what's happening? We get to do this? Like, this is what our show is going to be? And it it's so cool to to think about you guys kind of, you guys merging and making something. Like, it, it feels like the beginning of the Captain Planet energy that I always talk about on your set. I'm like, <laughs> something's going on and all the rings are coming together and magic is happening. Yeah. And it's good for the planet. <laughs>
2: It is. It is magic. I feel it's like that's magic, too. and I feel that way about our writers' room. I sh- I definitely feel like there are days when I'm so in awe of what this aggregate of people are able to put to make, you know, yeah. and and they're like the ideas and everybody just bringing the best of themselves and their experience and and building this together. It's it's really it is magic. I think that's the right word for it. It's incredible that any one show gets made and does this with success, and then you just think it's like happening all over town, and we have. Like just look at how much there is to watch.
1: It's, it's a dazzling weird alchemy that I love.
0: Totally. It's so
1: cool. So when I think about some of the, you know, the stories that you guys have told, um, especially as you were climbing that ladder, you've worked on shows that, you know, they center on women protagonists. They They focus on female experiences. And just like we were referencing with Jordan and props, they make everybody happy. I think sometimes when you tell a story, people go, oh, it's like, you got to hit me with an issue. You guys have managed to sort of move the spotlight to let people shine, but everybody has a good time watching these shows. What draws you to centering your female characters, but how do you also create these rich lives for all your characters, do you think? How do we do
0: that, Jenny? You know, for me, the thing that unlocked writing for me, like in my own experiences, is is writing the story and then really taking a pass of the script from everyone's point of view. And like, Mm. it's um, like a step that I, you know, I'll be tired and I'm like, "Ah, get it out. But then I'm like, wait, I haven't read it through from this character that you think is a side character. I just want to read it through as though I'm that person, right? Mm -hmm. And like, um, just to make sure that everyone is not turning other people's plots arbitrarily, because you need their plot to turn, but that they're coming in with their own agenda and their own like big life. And that's like a step that um, once I recognize that, I feel like it made My writing much better because, you know, we know everyone is the star of their own show. We know that Mm -hmm. like everyone is the, um, you know, they're, they're the hero. And just really being honest about every character, like what they want, what they need and why they would be doing this, not just to service the one I think has made the fabric richer. And then I also give myself a rule that like no matter how much i love a line or a joke makes me laugh i will always take it out if i feel like it's selling out the character in some way like if i feel mm-hmm. like it's not honest to what they would do or if i have to too, do too many mental gymnastics to rationalize something i just take it out and it's like sometimes it's painful cuz you're like ah oh, that's going to be funny no matter what but if it's not going to be something that the character would say, I got to lose it. And so I just really hold myself to do those two things. And, you know, sometimes you're more successful than other times. But if I do those, then for me, the script is as strong as I can make it at that moment.
1: That's, That's awesome. very cool. And what do you think, Katie? What is it What is it for you? I well,
2: I really agree with what Jenny's saying. And I, and I think on, on our show in particular, what I know has helped me and our writers a lot is just that we happen to have such an incredibly strong group of people in our cast. So all of you have helped build who these characters have become in such a genuine way. And I, because I've been able to be a part, like we are so connected in this process of making it from the page to the screen that I feel that I also know when things are hard for you guys to make true. Right. Mm -hmm. So if anything feels like Jenny's saying that it's just a little bit, it's just not as good as it could otherwise be, and I can see the struggle that's happening on that your end because it's just doesn't, it's just not gelling. It's just not up to the measure of what we've established for this character and the work that we've been doing. It falls short. That's like a really good way to that's like a great standard that we've set for everybody. So if you just imagine how would I feel if I were Sophia getting this scene, like how would I feel if I'm Omar? Like, I don't know how to play this because it feels like it's wacky. Then, then it really just does inform what what we can do to make it better. So for me, I think thinking about you guys in the process and just remembering that, like you, that that, that humanity and realness is why it's so good and genuine, the work that you're doing. You're not, Nobody can just like puppet this stuff. You've got to really feel it and it has to be true. So finding that truth for each character. Yeah, that's the key. That's really, I like the way Jenny put that.
1: Mm. Well, we're talking about our show, but why don't we really, really talk about our show? <laughs> you know, we're we're on this adventure that, like I said earlier, we've been on for two years together, which also I think is such a testament to what Good Sam is, to what you guys have made. <laughs> What was your, two questions, what was your inspiration for writing the show and how did the two of you decide to partner up to do it? How, how does that happen?
2: That's lucky for me because it was Jenny's idea. You tell him, Jenny. I
0: just really wanted to work on um, a pilot with Gatie. Like, you know, you just, I, I, she's just such a singular voice. She's such mm-hmm. an excellent collaborator. She's so original, surprising. So, you know, when you when you get your own shows, you then start to go into this other realm where you can start to like, you know, um use the fact that there's trust in you at a studio or a network to like throw it behind other people and mm-hmm. uh, uh, help them get their voice. Out, out there. And Katie was somebody, she'd already, she her pilots were beautiful. She had written one the year before that got made. Um, she's just, she'd been such a spectacular writer in the Jane Room. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get my hands on her. Like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want a Katie Wetch R- original. I want to work with her. <laughs> um, so I just asked her out to dinner and like threw some um, just general ideas at her to see if anything um, sparked because, you know, ideas like they're, they're nothing if if you're not, they're not Like, if somebody doesn't attach and build and world. So, you know, I just threw out a couple things just wondering what she would connect to. And the father-daughter dynamic in a hospital is one that Katie sparked to. And then from that, like, she said, let me think about it. And then, like, cut to Katie telling us about this show. And uh, me and Joanna Klein, my partner, just sitting there going, like, yeah. Oh, whoa. Oh my gosh. No. Like just twisting and turning. And like she had it all worked out and she had all the characters and all the reasons and all that. It just, it was beautiful. So it was like one of those um collaborations you just like hope that you'll be lucky enough to get to participate in. And then like so many people are great writers, but... You know, show running is its own special skill. And Joanna and I have just said, like, a million times over the co- course of this year, like, how lucky we are just to be such a wonderful writer and showrunner. And yes. the fact that Katie is so extraordinary at both of those is not lost on anyone. So it, it, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's inspiring for me to get to be around and to watch her do it in such an excellent, excellent way.
2: Oh, thanks, Jenny. Well, I had a good model. A good model it is it is two totally different skills I would say, and often like contradictory skills because to write you're sort of turned inward, right like you're listening to the voices in your head and and having a whole elaborate conversation in fact, if you're me and then somehow as a showrunner, you need to turn outward and plug into other people and their experiences and be sort of a manager of this larger yeah. operation and and so like that is a weird combination of skills and it's not like you don't go to business school usually to get into that spot so you kind of like figure out whether you are up for it in like the highest possible stakes most fast-paced time when everyone's like staring at you and so it's like oh okay well we'll see how this goes so I also in that in that way I do think that again my parenthood has helped me because there's just a lot of that right where you're just like you don't know what going to come at you but whoever yeah. stays the calmest wins i always say is my rule of parenting and mm-hmm. so that has been a helpful g- tool as you just you just figure it out as you kind of go and count on the people you know you can count on the way i count on jenny and um and uh, and and go together you know down the road like we all are mm. and so that that i feel like there is this this trust thing all around in that regard like we don't know what this is gonna be I hope it's
1: good. <laughs> I hope we yeah, do a good job and It's kind things. of like going off a roller coaster together. You're like, "Oh god, oh god. We're going. What's going to happen? It's fun. I'm
2: scared." Ugh. Yeah. And there's so 100%. much you can't control. All you can really do is be like sure that no you know you're the hardest working person that you know, that mm-hmm. you're setting an example and and creating an environment that you would want to be in and then just just do the work you know. Mm. In the end I think that's like all of us that's just kind of where what it comes down to right the rest you have to jettison in order to really be focused on that in a singular way.
1: Yeah. How do you guys then and cuz you said it it's it's a crazy job the hours are insane it's it's like a runaway train and it is evolving as we go. We we have episodes on the air, we have episodes in the can, we have episodes you're still writing to shoot as we're airing. How does your understanding both, you know, for you as a showrunner, for you as a producer, how, how does the understanding of the show evolve in real time?
2: Yeah, it does evolve in real time. I think that, that there's like this balance between knowing what you want the show to be, what you think the show is and isn't. Right. What well enough that you can help steer and direct people as you start to build it. And then also having the flexibility to be able to understand where we succeed most, what sorts of stories and ideas maybe aren't as strong in in this particular iteration for us. You know, like the balance of things that we can manage and do well on this show is a question everybody has to ask themselves and answer on a show by show basis. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, yeah, we do have, you have to be able to be flexible. I always, I say to the writers, like, there's a, re- that's part of the reason why we move as fast as we move so that we have time to double back. If there is something we need to adjust or try to shore up in the name of, of what we discover along the way, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. So you just do the best you can. Sometimes it, it is like a little bit of a, you're sort of running to catch the train, but hopefully you <laughs> yeah. can stay out enough ahead to be able to do the best job you can at that. I think that I describe it as like like holding a braid. You know, you've got all these pieces and they need to keep, we, you really can't drop one or you're going to see it. And like you might end up with a pretty good braid, but there's still going to be that like little bit of a yeah. loopy part, you know, so, <laughs> so, so you just kind of get better and better at holding all of those pieces together and then it sort of falls in, you know.
1: Oh, I love that. And something that I'm curious about as well, one of the things I love, so much about you both is the way that you talk about your careers, that that you, you truly are both these powerhouses who do all of it. And I don't mean like the tacky, like she does it all. You know, my least favorite headline, you know, she may be 50, but she's just getting started. I'm like, she's not just getting started. She has a 40 year career. Like, come on. I want to know what the phase is, but let's not be like patronizing. So, I know how irritating it can be when people say, and they, of of course they say it to women, like, well, what about your work-life balance? And I'm like, you never ask the men who run the shows. You know, people will say to me, because I'm getting married, they're like, well, how does your soon-to-be husband feel about the hours you work? And I'm like, have you ever asked a guy who leads a show this question about his wife? Like, come on. But I am genuinely curious because I look up to the way that you both do it. How, how you do, as you mentioned, Katie, that sort of divide and conquer attention between running production companies and having studio deals and running TV shows and having your romance and your children, like, how do you think you've gotten so good at doing it?
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, like, on any given day, I'd be like, you might want to ask the other members of my family how well they think, (laughs) like, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer, because I really do think it's like, we just do this one day at a time, Mm -hmm. and some days I don't feel at all that I am succeeding at that balance, and I sort of live in the anxiety of, like, somebody I'm, you know, letting down, or some way that I can't be as much as I want to be in some particular area and so it's probably like just more the way that I'm wired that it's it's like uh the the challenge of sort of getting not letting that uh eclipse all the things that are going well and to just kind of Mm -hmm. keep doing the best you can on a one day at a time but I I wouldn't say that like I have a secret magic recipe for that balance I used to say to people you know because I feel like having I've been pregnant a lot while I've been on staff and on set and just like breastfeeding and trying to figure out like, what is, how do you do that while you're like in a writer's room for 10 hours or whatever. I I have said like, I I think that you can have it all that you want, Mm -hmm. but you might not be able to have it all at the same time. Right? Like there might just be a, a way that you have to sort of start to understand what's possible in terms of timing and, just resource allocation yeah so i think that it makes sense for me now with my kids being a little bit older and all in school to be a person who has her own show when i had Mm. little babies i would not have been able to be the showrunner that i am right now because i just would not have Mm. i just wouldn't be that person so for me that timing works in my favor and i have an understanding of that now with the advantage of that perspective so i might have been eager to have this all this back then but i don't think now that that would have been right if that's any use to anyone
1: that is that's actually really reassuring and inspiring to hear because it reminds you that you know just in in the same way that the planet has tides that that you have tidal moments in your life and it's like this is a high tide moment where I have very little sand for other things, this is a low tide moment. Look how big my beach is. I can go do mm-hmm. all this yeah. stuff. Like th- things do have to shift in, uh, in the in the sort of amount they take up because all you have is a hundred percent. Yeah. But if you're willing to take different percentages through the stages of your life, you can experience all the things that you want to experience. I like that. I, I see Jenny nodding. You're just like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I like
0: that a lot. I like that a lot. I, yeah. I mean, for me, it, uh, it, it's just having a husband that was willing to take time off of work and his career and stay home with kids. Like that, yeah. it was as um, sort of <laughs> that, that is the only way that I was able to do the job. It's so exhausting. It's really like so many full-time jobs at once, like, right, you know, mm-hmm. running the writer's room as its own and then managing production and then editing is like three full-time jobs at once. And yeah. my kids were young during Jane. Um, Poppy was two and Theo was probably four. Wow. And um, it really took having, uh, you know, making accommodations. Number one, putting my office right by my house. So it was a block away, you know, so I could be there in the morning. I could go home at night, put people to bed and then work again and it was really having my husband willing to take off and and do that and then to me then everything becomes essential so for me work and family were essential i i really love all of my friends and they're going to be my friends for life but i knew i wasn't going to see them that much <laughs> over 5 yeah. years and i didn't like but like i'm just as close now but i just you know i didn't have time to go out to dinner or to like do things like that because that would be time away then from the kids Who needed time in general, or I would let them sleep with me at night because I could feel that they were needing more, you know, like you're more flexible in those areas. And then I just really tried to take the positive. I mean, it's hard. You feel guilt all the time. You feel pulls and pushes, but I really... I would try to balance the complaining about like, I'm tired. I have so much work to do with also mm. letting them know that, but God, I'm so lucky I get to do this work because it's a job in the arts and I've been working towards this my whole life. And I really hope yeah. that when you're older, you find something that that you're this passionate about too. Yeah. So that, yeah. that was an important thing to thread into the family life that they knew it wasn't like I had to work, but that it was also, because it is my meditation, like writing when I'm by myself is my like self-care, you know, that's how I self-soothe. That's how I do, you know, so really just understanding there's hard moments and that there are moments where you're like, oh, nothing can exist today, but my kids, because they, they need that right now. And if I have to stay up all night when they go to bed and deal with the show stuff, I will. And then also being like, okay, you know, uh, I am so lucky that my husband drives them to school and picks them up. Like, wow, what a privilege, you know, Mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, I have a really hard job and I'm not a single parent. That's really
1: yeah, so yeah.
0: lucky. And, um, you know, I don't have a traditional household dynamic where I'm also expected <laughs> to do this yeah. giant job and yeah. cook at the end of the day because I can't cook, you know, so he yeah. does. So that that is the only thing that's made it possible for me.
1: That's so cool. Well, it's like, Katie, it's like what you said. You can have it all, just not all at the same time. And, yeah. and I yeah. do think in so many modern relationships, it, it creates a whole new uh, sort of division of labor and expectations. And
2: yeah.
1: I, I've actually loved finding that, you know, in, in my life, in my, in, my modern, in my modern love. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, because you have to talk realistically about what is going on, what are our goals here, what what are we willing to sacrifice in the name of those goals will like if this show like is our thing that we're doing right now are we mutually invested in it's mm-hmm. thriving and the what the compromises are going to equal right like those are conversations that you want to have as early on as possible so that you're not like in the middle of the storm and then you know your partner that you're so reliant on for that balance is like Feeling super that the balance is uneven, or that they're not, uh, you know, participating in that dynamic in a fair way. So that's like just about communication, right? Like so much stuff just comes down to being honest about that, and what are mm-hmm. our limitations and expectations of each other, and yeah, like that's just that's the nice. kind of talk about a work in progress. I mean, I think that's that's true in, in probably any marriage, really. But I think when you're in, in some kind of like really demanding circumstances that are really unusual, or unprecedented for that marriage, it's important to talk a little bit
0: about it. It's yeah, like, for sure. How are we going to do this? It's a family affair show running. It really is. Yeah. Like, everyone's affected.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how I feel show acting. Yes, for sure. I can't even sure. imagine what you, you know, when you, the way that you guys have to do all this. And then it makes me think about, you know, the larger scope of both of your careers. You know, Jenny, you've got a big studio deal. You're like... You're producing so many things. Katie, likewise, you are creating so many shows. You've written so many scripts. How do you guys think about, as we talk about, you know, spinning all these plates, balancing on one foot, how do you think about what's next or what else you feel that artistic craving to do while we're doing this? How does that part work?
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, for me right now, it's like episode by episode inside of this one show and this mm-hmm. world and in in, our, in my life um, more than other times when I've felt like I'm looking for the next thing.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I think
2: that, and, and I think it, it has to do both with like an idea when it's those times that you're looking for the next thing or what else you're developing. It's the idea itself. And for me, also the mm-hmm. people that you're working with to go back to where we started, you know, that more and more, I realized that I can do my best work with the best people that I know. And so how can those things all happen together so that it can be like the, because it's always a hard job, right? So how how can we make it like set ourselves up with the best circumstances up at the top of it to make, make it the most rewarding and worthwhile to do. Those are the things that I look for when I'm starting to like strike out on another project.
1: Mm. And Jenny, how do you, do this? How are you managing all these shows and projects and things? How does how does it I don't know how does know, I it just, all fit together?
0: I love switching and I love thinking about new things. Like I just love brainstorming. I really do. And I love story. Like I just have a real love of story. So, you know, it's it's so exciting getting to go, oh, we're thinking about this now. And then now I'm thinking about this. And oh, okay, now I have to clear out time and get into, like, I, I, there's just something to me that is very, um, that it's like so exciting. Um, and I love, I love writers. I love talking to them about ideas. I love pitching together. I just really get lit up by that whole experience. Um, and then I kind of know if it's something that I have to write, if it's like, I just can't imagine not writing it or someone else writing it, if I would be like Mm. jealous. And if I'm not, jealous, then I feel like I can be a good helper, but somebody else's voice is like the one that needs to be out there kind of creating it. And if I'm like, I can't, I, I like, I, I can feel that kind of, it's like bursting to come out, then I I have to write it. And that's sort of how I divide. And then same with listening to ideas. If you're like, oh my gosh, if I love that so much, you know, you have to kind of separate. I love that so much. And I, can do a good job with it. Or I love that so much. Am I the best person to do that? Sometimes you have to Mm. say, no, someone else is. Um, Or you have to check yourself. Oh, like, am I just wanting that? Because it seems like a big, splashy idea. And I feel like I'm going to feel like I missed out if somebody else gets it. Like, you have to, it has to, I think, come from like a real artistic inspiration. Because you'll never, it's so much time. There's always so much time. And so you don't want to do anything as like a reflex against Somebody else because if somebody like, you know, oh well I'd be you know, it's let somebody else then have it and give it all their passion. It's passion, it's like you're writing, so it's like you're you know, I gotta wanna like stay up like the time when the whole family's in bed and it's like I get to go to my office. Yeah, I feel like a witch, you know, like I got like <laughs> yeah, I'm just like I it's candles, I've got my like, you know, hoodie on and like no one's talking to me. And like I that is like magic time for me.
1: Um, I love that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's. I feel all, always, always so lucky that, like, to. I think all of us, I'm sure, do just, like, that we get to make our living in the arts and we get to do something that we, like, yeah. the dream. Like, it, you know, it was at some point for all of us a dream that, like, yeah. had did not have a clear path. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like if you – it's very hard, but if you go to med school, chances are you're going to become a doctor, right? If you go to film school, there's no – it the chances are that you become a working writer are probably yeah. just as slim, slim as if you Very didn't
2: mm-hmm. so yeah. like you got
0: to have the fire
2: i used to talk about that when i graduated from usc like there'd be these like oh so and so is moving back to ohio parties <laughs> like like of the people that were like i'm not screwed this, this isn't possible and I was like, I'm not going those. I'm not, I'm not, I got to like really just focus in on like the, I have to live in the inevitability of my desired outcome to be a professional writer. And I can't like let in that kind of thinking that's like, or you mm-hmm. could just give up and go, like, I really needed to change the way that I might, you just have to be careful what you think about. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that like. Then you are so lucky and it happens. and you're so excited and yet I don't know if it's just like a human nature thing that we have. We can tend to turn anything in our given moment into this like narrative of, you know, persecution and conspiracy against us. And even like some very highly paid Hollywood writer could be sitting in a room talking about how hard their life is. And it's like, okay, I mean, just all pitch. You're living the dream. A lot of people would love to be sitting in that chair. You have a very nice house. Like there's just like a way to look at things and think about things. And that yeah. that I think is like uh, an ongoing practice that I've learned a lot from Jenny in that way, that I think that she has like a sort of irrepressible uh, instinct to go to the positive place and, and dwell in solutions and see the upside of stuff. And mm. if you can really cultivate the discipline to be an optimist and be positive, even when people are like, you're take, when you're taking fire <laughs> you know then I think maybe you you can run a show
0: Katie told me mm. I was an optimist I had no idea he
2: was like no kidding <laughs> is that true you're <laughs> like I know like if somebody was like Jenny I'm so sorry but you have nose cancer she would be like you know what a great time in the world it is to get nose cancer the be- medicine has never been more evolved. It's, you know we're in the best city in the world for like no specialists abound. but she would just find for you this way of looking at things that you mm-hmm. just are uh, in awe of and I, I feel that it is I have to know uh, that. A part of her success, although she's so Amazing. instinctive for you, you don't even know you're doing it. For me, it's a daily active practice to not be like a miserable bastard.
0: Uh, I find that <laughs> hard to believe. <laughs>
2: well, some days I get it's easier than others, but that's just
1: how it goes, right? Don't mind me. I'm just literally taking notes on the things <laughs> that you're both saying because you're perfect. I love this. I love it. I wonder you know from these these seats which are pretty high on the ladder that that you sit in that you've worked your way up up to I feel at this point in my career from you know my seat that I've worked my way up to that we're making something that's really special and we said it earlier it's it's grounded in female leadership, but it's for everyone. And everyone watches it and feels good and kind of goes, wow, this feels different. I wonder what it is. And we're all sitting here in our, in our little witch hats going, wah-ha-ha. Ha. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I wonder about when you look back and you see the way that women didn't always get to be portrayed on TV... I think about that a lot from my early career, even when, when you look forward from, from this to where we'll take this show and and where you want to go with other things, are, are there things you're conscientiously considering or consciously thinking about in terms of ways that you hope we as women get to be not only portrayed on camera, but, but in leadership roles and treated behind the camera? Go ahead, Jenny.
0: Jenny. Well, I just think, you know, allowing the wide range of female experiences to be shown, seen, and, uh, you know, it, th- that that is empowering. So the more mm. examples of female leadership means that each example does not have to be the example, you know. And I think just, mm. um, I think always being conscious of, like, what you're putting on screen is really important. That, like, nothing, don't let anything just, like, kind of happen. Mm. And I really like to, like, everything's a choice, because i think you, then those are the things that you don't notice but suddenly you're looking around and you're realizing oh the makeup of the extras is not this one thing it's this other thing or this is the environment that we're putting in or this person is looking to this other person with respect like you're always kind of modeling things i think mm-hmm. in tv and by not letting anything just be just happen you can make sure that the image that you're putting on cuz you you know you can only you have your small corner of the room uh, uh, the, of the world in which you can exert what kind of you believe and what influence you have and what's important to you. And just like making sure that everything is a choice on a show, mm. I think, is really um, the thing I try to just constantly uh, mm. remind myself and, and makes me feel like the work that we do is also important beyond the words that they say. But like, what are people seeing And what are we modeling and and putting out in the world in terms of like how we want the world to be?
2: I mean, I think that we really just the more specific and like um, the more detail and specificity each character has, the better the storytelling is in general. And also, I think the more impact it can have in this larger question, right, of like what kind of female stories can we tell? What kind of stories in general can we tell? And what can we what are we just sort of saying in the world normal can be? Right, that mm-hmm. um, that there's something very subversive to just writing very fully formed, complex characters who are all the things, right mm. and And I, I learned that on Brazilian Isles for the first time that, like Sasha Alexander pointed out to me, that it was like really outrageous to have this show with these two female leads who are excellent at their jobs and friends. and that's it. Not mm-hmm. not trying to steal each other's man, not trying to take each other down, not having some kind, just yeah. that that was really so outrageous and audacious for seven seasons of a television show to just have these two, this woman is a really good medical examiner and this woman's a really good detective and they're going to just like help each other crimes, yeah. and and from her point of view she felt like that was her like a, you know we were contributing contributing to the, a conversation about what can be possible in terms of how we understand the way women relate to each other professionally mm. and personally and how that can be dramatic and compelling without going to maybe some more stereotypical places that might have been more familiar terrain in the past and so that that was like an eye-opening thing for me that wh- how, why that was a meaningful character for her to play and why it was important for her and I really saw that as an opportunity then, and writing that character and those stories I took like a lot of I felt like a responsibility to carry that banner and to keep doing that with every character
1: with every yeah. character
2: in every story, like Jenny's saying those choices they resonate in a larger way.
1: Mm. I love that so much. I just love the way that you guys answer questions. they're always unexpected and far more inspiring than anyone who's an- who I've heard answer them before. It's been deeply inspiring to hang with you both, which is wild because I'm always inspired when I hang with you both. And I'm still just learning so much from you both, including about your stories today, which is my favorite. Um, I'm wondering, you know, industry, future aside, the representation of women aside, all the stuff we've been talking about that's coming down, down the pike, I really wonder just personally for each of you, when you look forward from this vantage point what what feels like your work in progress right now what's what's that that lies ahead
0: you know i I've, I've got kids moving towards middle school mm-hmm. so that is really the for me like just remembering middle school understanding like some of my own things that were hard and and difficult mm-hmm. it's like it, it um, it's bringing up a lot, and it's just I have I feel that I have to learn how to parent in this moment. These kids in this pandemic, go like it, it, to me that that's the biggest work in progress in, of my life. How to how to really help guide without hovering, how to instill self esteem while honoring anxieties and insecurities, like just all of that. That I think um, you know when I look back. And, and the, so many of the things that I struggle with and still try to uh, work on for myself today are so rooted in the sort of adolescent experience. I, I'm like looking at it again through the lens of a parent is very mm-hmm. um, uh, daunting and inspiring and and feels like really something that um, I'm, I'm going to have to be flexible <laughs> about and patient with uh, both for the kids and with myself.
2: Mm. I agree with all that. I hear all that. Yeah. I think I, I tell myself like this moment right now of life is about like, I just keep thinking if I just, I hope I can keep doing this longer because I've, I i do not feel that it will ever get easier, you know, but I think I will benefit from doing it more. It's just one of those things. And I, by which I mean like both running this show and being a writer and being in this family and being a partner to my husband, like all of it feels like, gosh, you just really learn it on the job. It's all on the job training. And so I just want to mm-hmm. keep at it because I'm just trying to like really synthesize these experiences. And then when I come back around to this bend one more time, I'll benefit from that and be maybe just a little farther, you know, along in terms of how I can show up for people and how I can handle things and say, oh, I know. I remember this is like that thing where, you know, it's kind of like you just have that own recognition of yourself in a different moment in time, but having a similar experience and having that, Mm -hmm. seeing that as an opportunity to do a little better or just at least have a little more insight. So, yeah, just for me, I'm just trying to like evolve as fast as I can. (laughs) Casual. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just, just just trying to, like, you know, just evolution. Maybe we could, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. on a deadline, just ever so slightly faster.
1: Uh-huh. I think about that sometimes when I look at Charlize Theron. I'm like, whatever brand of neo-human she is, I would like to be that. I would like some of that DNA. How does it work? Yeah. Like, how um, do
2: some people just seem like they get more into you have it in it. the packet at the no, start? Sophia. I mean, Katie – You yeah, Sophia, I have it. You have it. Sophia, come on, come Come on. on.
0: (laughs) The most evolved person that I know. You just know so much about so much. It's, It's incredible, and you're so thoughtful about so many things, and the way that you look at things and the questions that you ask. I find that so inspiring on the day to day. Just like all the things that you know and all the ways that you deeply engage. With things, you know, I know a lot of people who know a little bit about a lot. I don't know many people who know a lot about a lot, and you're one of them. Um, And it's really inspiring. Like, I want more of that.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Thanks, guys. Just so you know, I'm usually walking around going, what am I doing? What is going on? (laughs) That's probably the reason I ask so many questions, because I don't feel like I know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the whole reason I started this show. I was like, I just want to ask people stuff. (laughs) So here we are. Thank you so much for coming on today. I just really love and admire the both of you, and I, I pinch myself every single day that I get to go to work and and work for human beings like you. It's incredible.
2: Me too. I'll Same. Say, yes. Yeah. Thank
1: you, Sophia. Yeah, thank you.